0: Well, good morning, everyone. George is my name, yes. <laughs> anyway, let me pray. Father, we do thank you we can be here. And Lord, we thank you for all those who've gone before us, particularly at this place and in this ministry and this church, for their faithful, faithful witness unto you, uh, their steadfast labour, and their wonderful joy in making your name known. And so, Father, fill our hearts with faith and perseverance and joy this day as we look forward to another 150 years. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, friends, welcome to the 150th anniversary service for St Matthew's Anglican Church in the parish of Manly. And as you've probably found out, I'm dressed up today, not just because I like to dress up, Uh, though dressing up is fun, Uh, but I'm dressed up as George Gurney, the Reverend George Gurney, the first appointed Senior Minister of St Matthews. Now, it's worth reflecting, I think, as today is a special day, and so we've taken a break from our normal series, and I'm doing a, if I can say, special message just to reflect on the past and where we are today, Uh, because Manly is a very significant place in Sydney, There's no doubt it's one of the iconic beach jewels of this harbour city. It's uniquely bounded by both the harbour and the sea and I can't think of many places that have the kind of unique geography that we have here in Manly. And when you live here for any period of time, um, you realise why no one wants to move away. Uh, It's what I call a destination suburb. You get there and you think, right, I'm going to stop. And my brother-in-law, Martin, is one of the many assistant ministers who've worked in the parish here over 150 years. Marty was here in the 1990s. And he said to me, look, what you've got to work out, Bruce, is when you go to Manly, it's all downhill after that. He said, it doesn't get any better. Now, he started out his ministry life. He came out of theological college and he went to Manly. And he said it was not the best way to start because it was all downhill after he left here. He was here for four years and he went across to Perth. Uh, He's now got a PhD in lecturing in theology at a great Bible college over there. Um, And so that's Manly, a wonderful place to live. And when you go back to the beginning of St Matthews 150 years ago, uh, Manly was isolated really from the rest of Sydney. It was a very difficult place to get to. It was a seaside village. It was only accessible through a road from Parramatta and the northwestern bushlands, a distance of 70 miles. And you think about the bridges that you've got to cross to get here. Uh, It's not just, if I can say, the Spit Bridge, it's Roseville Bridge. And so in those days to try and get it, very difficult, very difficult. Um, Most people arrived via a punt that was at the Spit. There was no Spit Bridge, you just had to get a punt across. Uh, And that's one of the early pictures of the church there in Manly. Beautiful spot, um, incredible place we live in. And it's worth noting that the first person to see the potential of Manly as a resort village was Henry Gilbert Smith he was an Englishman he was an entrepreneur he's often described as the father of Manly and in the 1850s he built the first hotel and he developed a shopping street from the harbour through the ocean and he named it after a Roman street that was called the Corso and that's when we first had the Corso name back in the 1850s and Henry Gilbert Smith was the one who did it now, he was also behind the first ferry service to Manly and he also began the beautification of the Manly Beach, you know, the big Norfolk pines. Gilbert Smith put them in as well. Now, what is of great interest is he also wanted to look after the spiritual needs of the workers here in Manly. And he made available land and money for a little rustic church and in late 1957 and the current site of St Matthews. Now, when you read that from historians, uh, there's a debate. Was the very, very, very first place here or was it up at Carlton Street uh, bounded by Pitwater Road underneath the Stone Kangaroo? Anyway, we don't really know. There's no pictures. Um, but there's no doubt that that was the beginning, if I can say, of the gospel being preached back in the late 1850s, 58, 59. And this was put in the Sydney Morning Herald as an invitation in 1958 in December. Church of England, Manly Beach, Members of the Church of England and others interested in the progress of religion are respectfully informed that the church erected at the above place will be opened on Sunday, next January, 2nd of January, uh, 1859, when divine service will be held and a sermon preached at half past four in the afternoon by the Reverend P. P. Agnew. And so Reverend Agnew started to preach the gospel in 19- 1859. Now you might think, hang on, that's more than 150 years ago. Um, I'll come to that. Now, in 1964, uh, he describes how on a stipend of 70 pounds, that's all he earned, 70 pounds for the year, Um, and he was paid not by the church, he was paid by Henry Gilbert Smith. He actually funded the church and funded the minister. Now, the church in town, if I can say headquarters, um, didn't really look after Reverend Agnew. And what he did was he renounced the authority of the bishop. Now, that's what you call a CLM. It's called a career-limiting move, okay? Um, And he didn't just renounce it. He put it in the Sydney Morning Herald. (laughs) Needless to say, he's been written out of the history books of St. Matthew's Manly. He doesn't exist at that level. Um, They laid the foundation stone in 1964. He wasn't even invited to the service, though he'd preached 400 times from Manly up and down the Northern Beaches area. And he left the Church of England and became the first minister of what was called the Free Church of England. In other words, the Bishopless Church of England. (laughs) Which leads us to ask, why are we celebrating today as the 150th anniversary of the church? Didn't it start earlier with Reverend Agnew? Well, there are four possible start dates for this church. One is with Reverend Agnew. But it's worth saying the first official, if I can say, minister of the Sydney Anglican Church, or the Church of England in Sydney, as it was called, was appointed officially by Reverend Frederick Barker. And he appointed George Gurney as the first official senior minister, or rector, as they were known. I mean, the old days, you know what rector means? It means the ruler.
1: <laughs>
0: I mean, it won't, it's a dreadful word, really. <laughs> I wouldn't ever want to think of myself at that level. But um, I'm the leader, uh, pastor, but I think re- rector is not the best language. But anyway, he was appointed and he preached the first sermon as the first official senior minister on the 8th of November, 1863. Today is the 10th of November, so we thought today is a great day to commemorate the 150th anniversary of the church. Yet if you ask the historians here in Manly, um, associated with the library, they'll say, no, this is not the anniversary date for St Matthew's 150th anniversary. Because you see, in 1864... um, They'd been given land and they had a foundation stone laid for the beginning of the building. Now, I don't know if you know this, um, there was a guy called Captain Darley, it's where we get Darley Road from, and he married a lady called um, Catherine Wentworth. That's why Wentworth and Darley Roads intersect and Wentworth and Darley intersected in more ways than one. Anyway, they got married and they gave us this land marked out by their names. And so on the 6th of July in 1864, the foundation stone was laid. Now the building was finished the following year and it was consecrated and of course lots of bishops came out, the Bishop of Sydney, Frederick Barker, visiting clergy. And on that day, the 5th of April, they officially opened the building. So when do you mark the 150th anniversary? It's a good question. Was it the first official sermon by the first appointed rector? Was it when the foundation stone was placed? Was it when the building was opened? Well, for me, there's only one real answer to that. It's when the gospel was first preached officially, if I can put it that way. And that is the history of the church, and it's why we're here today. You see, history from a human point of view, uh, it's often marked by key events. There's nothing wrong with this. Um, You'll mark key events like openings of buildings, uh, when land is bought, when consecration stones are laid. But the real history, when you look from God's point of view, is a very different view. It's the history of God's word going out. And when you begin the Bible, you begin the story of God, and the story of God is the story of his word going forward. Genesis 1, God speaks, and the world is created. God speaks, and there is light. God speaks in Genesis 1. There's not just light, there is life. Every imaginable form of life begins to prosper and grow. God speaks and man and woman emerge from the dust of the earth and he breathes into them his breath and so they become spiritual beings. And this is the power of God's word. When it is spoken it brings light, it brings life, it brings rebirth spiritually. People are born again. Those first Two people were born into, if not just physical existence, but spiritual existence. And that's the story of God. He's a God who speaks. And He breathes light and life into this world and into our lives. There's no doubt about that. And when you get to the New Testament, uh, this word becomes flesh. It's incredible. John 1, verse 14 the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. He came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we mark this day when Reverend George Gurney first preached the gospel. And when you get to the heart of the gospel, God is still speaking. As the incarnate word, the Lord Jesus Christ, hangs on the cross, God is still speaking. He hangs on the cross dying for our sins and he looks out And he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. As he hangs on the cross, he looks across, and next to him is a poor, wretched sinner who is dying for his sins and who at the end of his life has a spiritual renaissance and comes to his senses and looks to Jesus for hope and says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And God continues to speak on that day, and Jesus looks across, into that man's eyes and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And then as he finally dies, with the weight of the world's sin literally cast upon him by God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if he takes the judgment for our sin, God is still speaking and he utters those final words, one word in the original, it is finished. You see, salvation has been accomplished. It is paid. And he wanted the world to know there is forgiveness as he died. He wanted the world to know there is hope and eternal life. And he wanted the world to know that salvation is finished, it's accomplished in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we come to him purely on the basis of grace obtained through faith. Now, when Jesus had risen and ascended to heaven, his word continued to go out and God continued to speak. And the story of the book of Acts is the story of the progress of the word of God. The first disciples gather, the spirit of God falls upon them on the day of Pentecost and empowered by the spirit with great boldness, they stand up and speak in the Jerusalem temple forecourt and thousands come to Christ as the word of hope and forgiveness and repentance goes forth. Now that word was not contained within Jerusalem, it went out to Samaria. It wasn't contained within Samaria, it went out to Antioch and now not just Jewish people and Samaritan people but Greeks and Gentiles are coming to faith and the story of the book of Acts finishes with the word of God now in Rome which in that day was considered the pagan ends of the world. And though Paul is in chains, the word of God was not chained and God continues to speak. And so why mention this? Well, when the church did start, It started when the Word was preached. And the Word is preached and God gathers people to himself. Now, the first sermon that we can have record of was actually when the foundation stone was laid. And the text on that day was Isaiah 55. Now, you may not be familiar with it. Let me put up two key verses. And I think it's profoundly important. These are the words that were spoken Uh, when they first began building, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose to which I sent it. And I think it's such an appropriate text that we can look back to uh, that began the ministry of St. Matthew's in that first year of ministry. Isaiah 55 is saying to us, God's word is powerful and purposeful. It goes out and God will achieve what he wants through the preaching of his word. My word goes out from my mouth. It's not going to return to me empty. It will reap a reward. It will bring fruitfulness. It will accomplish what I desire. It will achieve the purpose for which I've sent it. And so what are we celebrating today? Well, in many ways, we're actually celebrating And commemorating as a church the way God's word has gone out from here over 150 years. And the incredible thing is, it has been faithful to the word of God for over 150 years. I can't trace any period of liberalism where the word of God was doubted or made less of than what it truly is, God's word. I can't trace any period where the gospel was not preached. It's quite a remarkable testimony of faithfulness to the word of God and it has reaped much reward. It has achieved much and I can't highlight really anything in terms of the history of what has been accomplished here because there is so much in terms of people who have been affected and transformed by the word of God and gone out from here and taken that word all around the world. I can't mention all the ministries that have gone out from here and been partnered with from here. There are so many. I'm going to highlight just one or two key things from my point of view. But when St. Matthew's began, um, let me just show you the original parish boundaries. Uh, if I was George Gurney, that was my parish. Okay? It was massive. Um, it went from North Head out to Cole and Candle Creek, French's Forest, um, up past Oxford Falls, all the way up to Palm Beach. Now, that's when the parish first began. In that time, these churches were planted. In 1871, St Paul Seaforth; 75, St John's Monvale, 1887, St Luke's Brookvale, 1894, St John's Bar Island, 1895, St Mary's Brooklyn, 1897, St Faith's Narrabeen, 1991, St Mark's Freshwater, 1918, St Albans French's Forest, 1922, St John's D.Y., 1925 All Saints Balgala. 1926 St Andrew's Oxford Falls, 1927 St Peter's Manly Vale, 1929 St James South Curl, Curl and in 1938 St Philip's Manly. They actually had a daughter church here in Philip Street in Manly. And all those churches uh, were assisted and financed and planted out of this parish. Uh, it's quite an incredible history that St Matthew's has. And it all relates, if I can say, take us back to this vision. Now, this is the vision I had when I came here, that we would be that church. That we would be a place that is known in this area and built on Jesus' love, grace and truth. In other words, uh, when people talk about that church at the Corso, what they discover, what they hear about, what they see are people transformed by the grace of God, are people who love in a way that they've never seen before. There's a divine touch about their love. Uh, They hear the truth of the gospel from this place. That's that church that's built on Jesus' love, grace and truth. And I want to say, um, they may have been my words at one level, but that spirit, that ministry has been here since the beginning. There is nothing new about this. This has always been the feel, the belief, the ministry, the endeavour of the people of God here at St. Matthew's Manly over 150 years because that's how God's word has worked in us so powerfully. And I want to highlight just three particular areas. I want us to look at Jesus' love, grace and truth. Um, the first one is grace. Paul says this, all of sins and fall short of the glory of God. None of us deserve to be in relationship with God. That's the message of the gospel. All of us have sinned. And all of us can be freely justified by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We come into relationship with God by grace through what Christ has done for us. It's not about what we've done, it's about what Christ has done for us. We take hold of it by purely faith. We trust in him and it transforms us. We want to obey and turn around and serve, we repent of our sins. This message has always been here at St. Matthew's, this gospel of grace, and it's been transforming people through the years. And I have been reading about the history over the last couple of weeks, and there's a particular time I thought I would bring to your attention today. It was like a mini revival here in Manly through the ministry of the church here in 1933. And that was during the period of the Reverend Arthur Ebbs. You're going to meet him later on in the service. But he was the rector at the time and he invited the Bishop of Gippsland, Dr. Cranswick, and the Bishop of Armidale, Dr. Moyes, and they conducted this remarkable mission here in Manly under the leadership of Arthur Ebbs. And the local papers wrote it up. In other words, that church, that's what was happening at that church, and they described what was happening at St. Matthews in this way. The city and district has been deeply moved by this mission. Whole families as well as many individuals, have been one for Christ. Hundreds of people have seen the power and the beauty of Christ as they've never seen him. And I think, isn't that a beautiful statement? Hundreds have seen the beauty and the power of Christ as they've never seen him. And the Anglican Church, with all its wealth of tradition, has been seen at its best in this mission. Now note this. Each day at 6.45am, 6.45am, a a service of Holy Communion was held every day of the week in this mission. And it says, there were most helpful meditations given. Attendances grew through the week till there were 300 people coming at 6.45am in the morning. What an incredible time. Now we have a prayer meeting at 7 o'clock on Tuesday mornings and we get about a dozen, okay? If you want to up that number, you're very welcome to come and join us. Come for an hour, that's when we pray, 7 to 8, Tuesday mornings. It said the church was filled each night of the week listening intently to the teaching given and these culminated in a congregation of over 1,200 people attending on the second Sunday evening. Now you think about the numbers of people that would have been here in Manly, it would have been a very significant time. Singing was of great importance to the mission, including the songs, Does Jesus Care, Breathe On Me Breath of God, O Love That Will Never Let Me Go. There's an open air procession in Manly. You had at the front a cross bearer, you had Arthur Ebbs robed up, you had the bishops, you had the choir. And the paper says this, it was done to remind the community that the church had a message of forgiveness and hope for all men and women. And they did this to be a community that was seeking to save The lost. Now I've heard those words before somewhere and it struck me that in this series, Living Beyond Ourselves, as we've been reflecting on God's love for the lost and whether we love the lost, following Jesus' model to seek and save the lost, that back in 1933 they were continuing. That's what they've been doing the whole time. To be this community that seeks to save the lost. And this is the history of our church. We believe in a message of grace that sinners are lost and that we as god's people are called to go and find them and to be transformed personally and to invite others to know and experience it but secondly um, love the apostle john said this this is how we know what love is jesus christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. And as I've read through uh, the history here and as I've talked with people who have been here a long period, there's one senior minister who stands out above the others. Now, all of them are good men, it's worth saying that. But there's one who was incredibly well loved and his name is Arthur Rebs. And Arthur was here from 1924 through to 1948. His ministry spanned both the Great Depression and the Second World War. And newspapers wrote up articles about him, and he was described as a modern day Good Samaritan. In fact, people said uh, when you met Arthur, you met the closest living thing to the Good Samaritan. He was such an incredible man, but he was also a man of great vision and leadership. Um, this church was built by Arthur Epps. Uh They wanted to widen the course though. They knocked down the old church and he took, uh, if I can say, the vision up to the people to build this. And as a pioneering visionary leader, he said, now what we're going to do is we're going to build some shops first and they will help pay for the building of this building. And so the six shops, which are five tenants now in terms of the optometrist, the jeweller, the chemist, um, the shoe shop and the Seven Eleven, Arthur Ebbs put those in they built them, and the proceeds were to then build this church. And the church and the diocese has been beneficial uh, beneficiaries of that vision uh, from Arthur way back in the 18, 1920s. But I thought it'd be good to actually meet Arthur this day, so we've done a bit of conjuring up. We've got Arthur to come back and visit us. And here he is. Can I get you to welcome Arthur Ebbs? Thanks, George. Good to be back. Now... There are people who actually have met and knew Arthur and he was described to me as like a big, cuddly teddy bear. So I need a big hug, Mike. (laughs) The funny thing was, um, there's a lady, June Shawman. she was confirmed under Arthur Ebbs. She said, you just loved Arthur, but the secretary. Now, that was another story. (laughs) She had this long stick that she would put on the kids' shoulders when they were mucking up in confirmation class. Anyway, Arthur was quite a character, but incredible visionary and incredible love. Um... Arthur, just tell us about a couple of things. The first one I wanted to mention was this. Um, there's a place called the St Matthew's Farm that you can go to today up in Cromer. Now, it's just sporting fields, but it wasn't always sporting fields. Tell me about um, what, is St. Matthews, what was St
2: Matthew's Farm? Sure. And what, why did it come about? Well, George, in the 1930s, the early 1930s, the Depression had really set in and a lot of people were just at wit's end trying to find suitable employment. And so I took up the cause for unemployed youth and as a church we were able to actually acquire some land in Cromer. Now we set that land up as a training farm to give, um, you know, to give unemployed uh, young people an opportunity to be trained and to get some work experience. There it is, George. Um, So that's what happened. And then between 1932 and 1940, uh, about 900 young men were trained there and and then went on to find meaningful employment in both trades and professions.
0: Okay. Now, that wasn't the only thing that you pioneered in kind of a, a very significant work. Um, World War II hit and there were lots of um, overseas troops here um, and they would often come down to Manning, particularly from New Zealand. Yep. And they often were homeless. Yep. Um, what happened and how did Sir Matthews get involved then?
2: Well, in the Christmas of 1939, as you say, there were lots of servicemen here on, on leave from overseas and uh, with nowhere to sleep and so I contacted the local army barracks and uh, got a bunch of their extra beds uh, brought into, into the church and I also that wasn't enough though so I, I contacted a bunch of local businesses and got locals to chip in as well and so what we would do we would, uh, we would house the men um, but as you said predominantly troops from New Zealand and we would feed them. And we were just simply seeking to bring the love of God to them and, and hope uh, to be able to introduce them to the risen Saviour, Jesus. Fantastic. Now, Arthur, what are you wearing? Oh, just just the slippers. Um, why have you got your slippers on, Arthur? Well, Saturday night, a homeless man came to the door and he was needing some shoes. and And so I gave him the last pair. And so, sorry, folks, but... Slippers is what I'm wearing at church. So you've got no shoes at home now? No, no, no shoes left. Okay. You got a problem with that? Because, I mean, that, that's ultimately what Jesus, I think, would do. And uh, and so that's, yeah, that's what we're called to, to be. Okay. Yeah. Thank you,
0: Arthur. Okay. <laughs> Can I get you to thank Arthur Ebbs? <clears throat> that last story is true. He turned up to... Leave the communion service on Sunday morning. And his warden, senior kind of board member, looked at him in church, serving communion, and he's in his slippers. And he said, Reverend Ebs, you're in your slippers. What's happened? Oh, I gave my last pair of shoes away to a homeless man last night. Now, I'll tell you another story about Arthur Ebbs. Um, June Shorman, who was here for many, many years, uh, I rang her. She's moved up to Worrywood, to the retirement home. Her mother caught the ferry home from Sydney across to Manly with Mrs Ebbs. And this is how the conversation went. She was asking about how the family was and uh, winter coming. Were they okay? Well, I I think so, said Mrs Ebbs. "uh, But I'm not sure if Arthur has given the last of the blankets away to the homeless men again. And he just had this incredible heart for people. And he just gave and gave and gave. And he had to finish in 1948 because uh, the, the work had really just worn him out. And he retired from ministry. At the height of the war, uh, they were he, if I can say, was a revolutionary. I mean, ministers didn't go to pubs. Arthur would go across to the Ivanhoe and find all these soldiers and round them up and say, come on over here. Uh, and June who I know, said she was too young to serve the men. The girls were kind of excited to actually meet the guys. Um, but you had to be 18 to be able to serve them food. And they used to serve them uh, hot meal, bed them, and then they'd pack all the beds up in the morning so they could run Sunday school on Sunday. And it was quite an incredible ministry of Arthur. And he really was a living, good Samaritan. But I want to say um, that's been the spirit of this place always. Uh, St. Matthew's is a church that's been marked by love and it's something which we must continue. It's the spirit of the soup kitchen as we care for the homeless and marginalised. But the third thing worth noting is truth. Uh, The parish has always stood for the truth of the gospel and not just that, as a church that's at the centre of the marketplace, there's always been a concern to make that truth available to the community so that the community might hear and understand and believe and be saved. We are called the church of the open door now who knows how that name came about anyone well let me introduce to you david cohen the rector of the time when we became known as the church of the open door welcome up david cohen
1: thank you it's good to see some of you and uh, of course some of you are looking much older than you were in the uh, in the 70s at sunday school to see you Bruce you didn't have to conjure me up I'm still alive
0: (laughs) he is still alive he just looks anyway you look great interesting with that hairdo I think you've
1: (laughs) this is how we rolled in the late 70s
0: (laughs) now Uh, the parish has always had a concern for outreach but we weren't always known as the church of the open door um how did we get that name
1: now during my time as rector we tried to be creative and innovative so I I had a um I had a a column in the local paper and i appeared on anglican television we did different things we were involved in different missions but of course one of the ways that we wanted to serve the community was to make our space available to them and the doors were open but we found that as manly um, got busier uh, the church was at risk and so vandals were coming in and making a mess at the back of the church and, and it really was quite distress, distressing so we, we made the decision to close the doors
0: and what happened then
1: well, I received an anonymous letter, and uh, it accused me... As now, rector, was it from the
0: church or from the community?
1: Well, it was signed, actually, uh, by a, um, a lifelong member of St. Matthew's, although they remained anonymous. They accused me as, as rector as having a callous attitude to the spiritual needs of the community.
0: Okay. So, wh- so what did you do?
1: That wasn't a nice letter to get. So I decided on a Sunday afternoon, just after church, to stay in the church and I manned the doors by myself, and in an hour, about 41 people came in. So I thought, look, I'm going to write to the parish. I think that there is some merit to this letter, and I think that what we do want to do is actually make uh, not just our church, but our message accessible to the community, so that people can know Jesus, love, grace, and truth. And so I said this in, uh, in a bulletin on the 11th of June, 1978. I've got it up on the screen. There you go.
0: If you can read it. <laughs>
1: I'll begin from uh, thirdly because I've I've, uh, I've explained some of those to you uh, already, George. Thirdly, however, the rector purposely opened the doors two weeks ago on a Sunday afternoon and remained in the church to welcome visitors and sightseers. In the space of an hour, 41 visitors came in. There is no question that the ideal is to have the doors open, but because of vandalism, it's not possible unless there are members prepared to be rostered to supervise the church and be on hand whenever the doors are open. And so I put this invitation out. Volunteers are warmly invited to give us their names and times when they'll be available so that St Matthew's might be open to passers-by for prayer and meditation for the bookstall or just the listening ear. Fantastic. And so that's that's where we got the
0: name, the Church of the Open Door. That's
1: right. And that continues, I'm pleased to say, to this day. So Dave Gardner from our 8 o'clock service still runs that roster and we still open our doors and man it in that fashion.
0: Fantastic. Why don't you thank David Cohen? And it's such a great tag, I think, to describe the church. When I was being interviewed on the TV for the Rugby League Grand Final and the exposure, um, it was wonderful wonderful to be able to say, we are the church of the open door. Uh, We welcome people in. And why do we do that? Because uh, we've got a message of grace, uh, we've got love to share, and we want people to discover the truth of the gospel. And that's who we are. And today is really a day just to stop and say to God, thank you for all the people you've raised up um, who have been faithful here in the ministry as they've heard God's word, the word of the gospel, and they've ministered it faithfully here in the manly area. They've partnered with people uh, from here, uh, from around the district, from around the country, from around the world. Uh, There's always been an incredibly strong mission, partnership and desire Uh, with St. Matthews that stretches way, way back. And I want to just say as we celebrate that day uh, today, as we remember um, the ministry here, and as we reflect on this verse, that the word of God when it goes out will not return empty. It will accomplish what God intended to do. May we continue to be faithful to that word of the gospel. May we continue to be faithful in understanding God's grace, receiving God's grace, living God's grace out as being a community that loves all who come here as we declare the truth of the gospel and continue on as the church of the open door for the next 150 years. So on that note, let me encourage us to continue to be faithful and let me pray. Father, we just thank you this day as we remember so many years of faithful ministry. Father, touch our hearts, move our wills, And may we be people who are faithful to you. And we thank you for the ministers, the people, uh, the servants who have gone before us over so many years. And we thank you for the heritage they've left us. May we continue to leave uh, a strong heritage of gospel ministry as we're faithful to you in this place. And we pray, may your name be praised. Amen.